your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Snap down, the kick is up, and the kick is good! Here's Lane! Huskers win it 13-10. They beat Northwestern and go to 4-2. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. Yep, we're here. We made it back. Hope you had a good weekend. Beautiful weather. My goodness. Outstanding for the final day of August. We'll flip that calendar into September. And we're glad you've chosen to spend a little bit of your time with us here tonight. Coming up in the program, Tom Chattel, the lead columnist of the Omaha World Herald, is going to join us. He penned a column over the weekend talking about how Nebraska's reputation's gone up in the last couple of weeks, at least among the Big Ten schools. And it might end up being a good thing for Husker Athletics. We'll let him explain more coming up later on in the hour. We're going to talk to the newest member of the NFL on Fox team, Kevin Kugler, will join us at the top of hour number two. We'll also hear from a writer who covers BYU football. They have the premier game of the week coming up this week in college football. In fact, it's next Monday night. It's the Labor Day game as BYU will travel to Annapolis to take on the midshipmen of Navy. So we'll hear what BYU's been up to. They had to really piece things together. They're now an independent in college football. And, boy, when everybody else starts canceling, you kind of wonder how they got it all put back together. So we'll talk to a gentleman who covers the Cougars coming up in hour number two. We'll have our weekend rewind in the third hour and our weekend winners also up in the third hour. And, as always, phone lines and text line open for you at 531 531- 500-4686, that is our U.S. Cellular text line. U.S. Cellular, the official wireless provider of Husker Athletics. All right, let's start with what uh, Tim let off the ticker with, and that was the Big Ten today. The lawyers who were answering the lawsuit put out uh, by eight Husker football players, uh, primarily wanting to know, one, was there a vote? Were procedures followed in the chancellor's president's meeting? And they would have liked some more information on the medical documents that were used to form the decision made a couple of weeks ago to cancel the fall sports season. Well, the Big Ten Conference today filed their response. Uh, The response demonstrates that the Big Ten Council of Presidents and Chancellors, one, voted to postpone the fall sports season, two, reached an 11-3 decision, which far exceeds the 60% threshold required by the Big Ten's bylaws, and three, based its decision on multiple factors, including the medical advice and counsel of the Big Ten Task Force for Emerging Infectious Diseases and the Big Ten Sports Medicine Committee. Quote from their release, the facts are clear that there was indeed a vote that far exceeded the 60% threshold and the decision by the chancellors and presidents was based on the input of several medical infectious disease experts in the best interest of health and wellness of student athletes and surrounding communities among the 14 member institutions. The big 10 asked that this motion be denied. So there you go, Ben questions answered. Everybody should move on. Nothing else to see here. Yeah, I mean, it, you say that kind of tongue-in-cheek, but, you know, in all, in all seriousness, um, there are a lot of people still out there nationally that that has made it a point to make Nebraska an example out of this thing. You know, and we had Nicole Auerbach, um, 
speak up and kind of laugh at Nebraska on Friday. And there are some others, too, that just refuse to yield that Nebraska is the clown in this deal. Um, I mean, those those people were kind of put to bed today because of the response. I mean, these there, there were people laughing at Nebraska players last week for doing this, thinking nothing was going to happen. And we've got more answers from this from mm-hmm. the players sending this to the league than we have anybody doing anything else, whether it be the parents, uh, the, the commissioner stepping up himself, any university president. I mean, for crying out loud, Greg, we had two presidents from the league that didn't even know if there was a vote. And, and you couldn't quite tell us if it was a vote. And one of them just flat out said there wasn't. So to get that clarity today, everyone should be thanking those Nebraska players. For everybody that's been frustrated by the lack of information that have come out by the Big Ten, you better be thanking these players because without it, we wouldn't have had any of that information. So they weren't seeking money. They weren't seeking damages. They weren't seeking any of that. This is kind of what they were seeking. Would we have loved more? Of course. I, I would have think, you know, even more transparency would have been great. Dialogue between the schools, who said what in the meetings, what was all suggested instead of a fall season, you know, all that stuff that we want to know would have been great. But I mean, I'll t- granted, we haven't learned anything in the last month. I'll take what we got today. That's better than what we've got at all. So people should be thanking Nebraska and those eight players for filing that lawsuit. If you were one of those people that was alert, trying to learn some information. No doubt. Three weeks from yesterday, tomorrow is Tuesday. So three weeks from tomorrow will be when the announcement to pull the plug happened from Kevin Warren's office. And you're exactly right. If he just would have been up front on that day and said, nope, it was not unanimous. It was 11 to 3. You guys can all go figure out who the three were and would have been pretty easy. In fact, it's now been confirmed that the three were Nebraska, Iowa, and Ohio State. Um, Boy, if I'm James Franklin, I'm kind of asking my president, so you didn't think we could do this? Uh, And you know Jim Harbaugh has been asking the same thing of his folks for weeks now that he didn't feel like. In fact, Michigan came out with something over the weekend. It might have been Friday or Saturday that they've done like 800-some tests in the last few weeks and have had no positives when they're people in the athletic department. So if I'm those coaches, I'm kind of going, really? You didn't? We went through all this stuff, and you, you if you asked me, I would have told you, yes, I think we can do this safely, and they didn't. I think Nebraska's chest ought to be popped out a little bit right now because they have been solid on this whole thing, and they weren't the only ones. And you're right, this for the people, the Desmond Howards of the world, uh, some other people who just lambasted, lambasted Nebraska for the last couple of weeks. That isn't happening right now because they weren't the only ones that voted to play football this year, uh, and they had help with Ohio State and Iowa. Uh, you're right. We we learned a lot more, and kudos, and that, that's why I made them my week week uh, week winners last Friday night for those eight Husker players for getting in there and, and shaking this up to get some final answers out of the league office that we weren't getting. From the media asking questions of Big Ten officials. So if I'm the media, I'm kind of going, well, they got more than, than I got. It's supposed to be my job to find that stuff out. Yeah, and I think that's kind of what I took took from it today. And that's kind of my main takeaway. It isn't that the information itself. The information itself is just kind of, okay, yeah, that's kind of what we suspected. But to actually hear it and and have Nebraska be the reason why we got that information, as I said before, is just – it kind of it validates everything that that we've done and have done and have said that from the players to the parents to coach frost 
to Bill Moose to Ronnie Green to Ted Carter. I mean, two, this just lines up with what we've what we've wanted the entire time and the vision that we've seen here at Nebraska. So, um, yeah, I mean, all in all, from a Nebraska standpoint, things couldn't have gone any better today because, you know, if the Big Ten's using their lawyers to plead the fifth or just not say anything about it, sweep it under the rug – you know get getting the the litigation and all that stuff like it could have gotten long and drawn out and kind of ridiculous but the fact that the big 10 felt the need to act this swiftly and and put out i mean you think about it greg that was put out what late last week we've seen more urgency addressing this particular issue than we have anything else and that includes the decision on whether to play football or not so yeah, I'd consider it a win for Nebraska today. My, my guess is the judge probably will dismiss the case now because this was the primary objective was to get, was there a vote, was it handled properly, and did it meet the standards of passing a rule? And it did in all three of those counts. So my guess is that's going to end the lawsuit. We'll see. Maybe, maybe the, uh, the lawyer representing Nebraska's players has something else up his sleeve. But to me, it looks like this is probably the end. One guy that doesn't take many breaks joins us now. That's Tom Chattel, the lead columnist of the Omaha World Herald. And also you can read his work online at Omaha.com. We should have been enjoying some Val's pizza today, pal, but that's not the case. <laughs> well, I guess, I'll, you know, you go to you go to uh, all kind of extremes to uh, lose weight. So, <laughs> um, but, uh, I, you know, yeah, there's going to be time off this fall. Um I need to find out. Uh, our, our Nebraska golf course is open on Saturdays. I, I, I you know, I'm <laughs> asking for a friend. Yeah, I think they may be a lot busier than they've been in the past. Before I get into your your column over the weekend, which I thoroughly enjoyed, just want to get your reaction to the Big Ten's release today of and finally announcing the vote uh, by the presidents and chancellors. What What did you learn? Did you do you feel like you're now satisfied with the answers that were provided by the league today? What a letdown. I mean, no, I'm just kidding. But was that really so hard to do? Was that all this, you know, drama? We needed the lawsuit. We needed, you know, um, you know, weeks of, of uh, you know, gnashing of teeth and columns and, and rip jobs and, and all, the, all of this, uh, you know, uh, <clears throat> people hiding from the facts and, we're releasing basic information. It's just—it's a vote. Release a vote. Was that so hard to do? No. Eleven to three. Okay, fine. Uh, they won't tell us who did it, but again, the as I wrote Sunday, the Big Ten has had many historical votes over the years, and it's said what they were. And you know, the, what, was there a bigger vote than in the, the nineteen seventy-three tiebreaker? Of you know, Ohio State, Michigan, where all the ads had to vote to who to send to the Rose Bowl, but between, between Woody and Bo, uh, arguably no. Uh, and they said it was six to four. So <laughs> just tell us what it was, and we might not have gotten to this place. But now I wonder. Okay, now we have a vote. Is it over? Are they just gonna go hide now? Or are things still on the table as far as playing maybe this fall? Um, is the issue, is the lawsuit done? Is the issue over? Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see how that works out. 
This will dovetail nicely into your column because it took these eight Nebraska players to get that information out of them. And, and Nebraska's been pushing this since this yes. whole thing broke almost three weeks ago, and that was kind of your point of the column that Nebraska, even though they haven't been winning on the field, maybe won some respect with what they've done, correct? Absolutely. And I've, I've heard that from different people around the league, and uh, it, it's great. I, I love what they've done. I love the fact that they, they have pushed back, you know, it is the right time to push back. Now, we all think if Jim Delaney was around, then this wouldn't have gotten as far. And I believe if Delaney was there, he would have talked him into uh, delaying the season uh, or delaying a decision and possibly trying to play the season. So, um, But I, we'll never know. Uh, Jim's down in his cabin in North Carolina, um, and he's not coming back. So... The yeah, I, I just think it's you know Nebraska. It was good to see them push back. Again, this is the right time to do it because the, the league office is, is kind of fractured. The the presidents have a guy, and Kevin Warren was trying to impress them, do everything he can to uh, you know win their favor. You know, they're his bosses. Uh, with, with Delaney, it might be the other way around. He was telling the the, the presidents what was going to happen. Uh, Warren doesn't have any any sort of of, of that kind of power or or credibility. Um, and after this, he he'll, he never will probably. Um, so, I think it was the right time to do it. I love what Nebraska did. I think it it, it gives. Uh, you know, the fact that Nebraska stepped up, you know, the fact that they, they, and again, the university did not sue the league, but that they certainly did not stand in the way. You know, the fact that, that, you know, you take the the league to court, that's a pretty, and then the Big Ten, that's a pretty big deal. That's amazing when you think about it a little bit. Um, but Nebraska did, didn't blink. And so I love their attitude, and I've hoped it carries over to the field. I think there's a chance it might. Now, you get the right players out there. Um, you know, and, of course, our confidence comes with scoring touchdowns and making plays and winning games. But I think it would be interesting to see if this attitude carries over a little bit. Getting busy with Tom Chattel, the lead columnist of the Omaha World Herald, and also reading his work online, which is what I do at Omaha.com. Uh, can can the Husker fans be kind of encouraged too by the solidarity from from the Nebraska leadership up and down the line? I mean, you look over Jim Harbaugh. Obviously, doesn't agree with his chancellor slash president. I don't think James Franklin's probably overly happy that Penn State wasn't one of the schools that maybe voted to try to do this thing when they've got in-state schools like Pitt and Temple that are con- continuing to play. Uh, shouldn't shouldn't Husker fans be kind of encouraged by by what they've seen from their leadership, Tom? They had Greg. They haven't had this um, kind of uh, unity or solidarity as you were um, since you and I were back in the old Big Eight. Um, I'd say when Bob Devaney was the AD, uh, Martin Massengale was the the, the chancellor. Um, he might have been the president. I don't. I don't. He was in charge. I don't remember what exactly title he had. I remember he was the CFA president one year, but uh, Martin Massingale was the guy. Um, I think you had 
uh, Bob Devaney, you know, you had Osborne, and that, and that's all you needed. <laughs> and and then we started, you know, whereas you know Osborne and, and Bill Byrne would play nice, they were never really on the same page, uh, and. It, and probably fought each other to some extent. So they haven't, we haven't had this at Nebraska since the days of uh, Bob Devaney as AD. So, uh, yes, it's it's very helpful. Things uh, I tend to get done, and you know, they, they certainly wouldn't have had the 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 guts to go after the Big Ten if they if they weren't like this. I'm trying to imagine. A world where Sean Eichhorst is the AD in a situation, trying to tell Scott Frost. Uh, of course, they would never be together. Frost never would have come to Nebraska with Eichhorst. But I'm just trying to imagine Eichhorst trying to side with the Big Ten while Nebraskans wanted to play and head coach wanting to play. It, it would, would have been a circus. Um, but this was not a circus. Nebraska very much on the same page. And, uh, yes, that's uh, – I think all that carries over. I really do. You mentioned the Big 8 schools. Here in a few weeks, all the former Big 8 schools minus Nebraska and Colorado are going to be on the field. At least that's how it looks now. Isn't that going to give the Big 10 some heartburn? I mean, that has to ratchet up the intensity on that Big 10 office when they see these teams roll roll the ball out here in a few weeks, doesn't it? Yeah, I think – that's what I wrote – for tomorrow, or I guess, I guess it's, it's out that's out tonight uh, on on uh, online newsstands everywhere. Um, the idea that okay, is this going to go away now? The presidents have kind of relented and said, okay, here's our vote. Will that pacify everybody, or will there still be a momentum to get something done uh, this fall? Um, I think. If the SEC, ACC, and the Big 12 have any kind of season, they start playing games. Yeah, that's that's going to bring the heat. Uh, that's going to bring the heat big time. And just watching the game the other night, Saturday night, uh, between the, uh, the the FCS teams, um, I think they they had a couple of key players out. They maybe didn't have a deep snapper or something. They still may do. They still played a great game. Imagine what the the, the Power Five uh, leagues will do with all, all of their depth. Um, I think and we've watched high school games have a terrific uh, weekend. Um, now we'll sit back and watch and see what, what kind of cases come out. But that's kind of what we'll do every week. But the more they play – you know, and the NFL is going to start. It's, it's going to be there'll be a lot of heat on everybody who's not playing. And um, absolutely, the Big Ten. And I had somebody who's outside the league today, uh, Greg, ask me, um, "Okay, is, is the Big Ten really going? If if the the Big Three leagues here, if they complete a season this fall, is the Big Ten really going to try to play? And you know, and after Thanksgiving or even in the winter?" Um, when everybody's done and there's a national champion, are they they're really going to try to you know sell the networks on a you know Minnesota versus Illinois or Iowa Rutgers game when there's a national championship being played or college basketball is going on or 
is anybody, you know, and there's nothing, you know, what, what are they playing for? Well, it's a trying to, to crown a Big Ten champion, but I think it, they're, they're going to get laughed at by everybody. And it's, it's, uh, the people in the Big Ten really want that. I mean, I, I want games, but I think it'd be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm not sure what the appetite's going to be. If these other three pull it off this fall, what the appetite might be for January, February Big Ten football, I, I don't know. I know financially the athletic departments might benefit from having it done because they can recoup some TV money, but I just don't know what the appetite will be. Tom, keep up the good work. Uh, someday, someday we'll be splitting the Val's pizza again. Well, Pat, I don't need the pizza, but I need to be in the press box and uh... – I'm really going to miss it on Saturday. I'm just uh, – it's its probably going to hit me on Saturday. And uh, so uh, I might need to go find a golf course. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, my friend. Have a good day. Thanks, Greg. See you later. But delighted to be joined now by the newest addition to Fox, the NFL on Fox, Kevin Kugler. Hello, sir. Congratulations. What What cool news. We need some good news around here. Yeah, you know, it's been a year, I know, and for everybody who's listening to this, or at least for the majority, this has not been a year in which there's been much good football news, uh, certainly not for me for most of the year. <laughs> but, uh, but no, this was, this was excellent news. I'm very excited about it and looking forward to getting started in a couple weeks out in San Francisco. There's a theory that we, you, you kind of went dark for several months. Was that the negotiating period that was going on with Fox? That was that was the um, that was the I don't have anything to do period. And every time I think about my uh, my career in those days, it was pretty depressing. So I just decided to opt out of speaking to anyone. <laughs> well, t- tell me about this now. You, you're going to work with Chris Spielman, correct? And do, you, you guys have probably crossed paths at some point in time. We actually did a game two years ago on Fox, uh, which was my first Fox game. We were part of a three man booth that we worked a, uh, a Lions game a couple years back, had a great time with Chris, um, which is one of the reasons why I'm probably into this position right now is because Chris was comfortable working with me. We have a lot of mutual friends, obviously, in this business, including a shared producer. My producer for my games on BTN the last several years is uh, Bart Fox, one of the best in the business, and he was Chris's producer for a lot of years doing football for ESPN. So not only had he worked with me, I got somebody in there to vouch for me. So that, that always helps when there's somebody who can say, no, I, I promise you he's okay to deal with, even though you only had to deal with him for one game, multiple games, he still is okay to deal with. So that was, that was <laughs> helpful. And uh, I guess we'll find out in January if Chris Spielman is ready to just beat me over the head with a rake, which I'm sure he probably will be at some point this year. And, I, and Chris is in good enough shape to do that very easily and cause me great bodily harm. Now, you mentioned your opener in less than two weeks is the Cardinals and the Niners. What a terrific matchup for you to launch that season. Do you get a full season of games, or do, or do, or do they give you week by week what game you're going to have? Well, I'm working, I'm working a full season, but we only got our first three weeks of assignments okay. when, our, when our assignments came out. So I've got a nice little slate, um, Arizona-San Francisco to start. We've got Rams-Eagles in week two in Philadelphia, which should be just a tremendous game. And then I get to see Washington and Cleveland in week three. So I'm, uh, I'm excited about it. I mean, look, this was – you know how this is. There, until about two weeks ago, I didn't think I was going to be doing any football this year. So I'm just excited to have anything to do. I mean, you know, when, when the Big Ten decided that it needed to opt out 
of a fall football season when you work for the Big Ten Network, that kind of uh, limits your work. So I was happy to I was happy to get the call from the NFL, and the circumstances were were different that allowed there to be an opening. But I'm very excited to have the chance to work with these folks at Fox, and you know, BTN and Fox are all part of the same group. So it's uh, it's a nice transition, and I'm very excited about it. Kevin, what does this do to your your Sunday night Westwood one? I would guess that probably goes away. It does. Yep, that takes it away. And I'll still do some stuff with Westwood One. They've been fantastic through all this. And I'm very fortunate to have a great relationship with them. I'll still do the Final Four. I'll still do March Madness. I'll still do the College World Series. I'll do some select NFL games throughout the year, holidays, playoffs, that kind of thing. But my Sunday night regular thing is obviously not going to be a deal because I'll be working every week for Fox on these Sundays this year. Very good. Again, visiting with Kevin Kugler, the newest member of the NFL on Fox team. Going to work with Chris Spielman and going to be a pleasure to watch him each and every Sunday here during the fall. You mentioned, and some folks may not realize this, that Fox is a uh, an owner of BTN as well. So there is some some synergy between the two companies. What what will this do then for, for your BTN? F- would football, if we were in normal time, would football be out, but basketball may still be a part of it? What, how, have you gotten that far down the road? Yeah, we, we really haven't gotten that far down the road because I think everybody's just trying to figure out this year, and that was kind of the conversations we had with everybody at Fox. It's just, you know, we don't know what's going to happen beyond 2020 with anything. So we're just trying to figure out. In fact, we just had a, a conference call a little while ago with the folks in charge at Fox, and as they said, there's really no blueprint for broadcasting the NFL in a pandemic. We're kind of just figuring this out as we go along. So we'll we'll approach all that stuff when and if we need to. If the Big Ten does indeed attempt a, a winter or spring football season, I, I'm planning on being a part of that with Matt Millen on BTN. It's just a matter of if and when the Big Ten decides it's safe for its uh, its student athletes to be back on a football field. Kevin, will you be will you be traveling or will you be doing these games from a studio? Has that even been has that bridge even been crossed? No, that bridge has been crossed and we will we will definitely be in person at the okay. stadiums every single week. All of the national broadcast crews for television will actually be on site for the NFL. That's kind of different from what we've seen with Major League Baseball, and it's certainly different from what we're going to see with some of the crews, even for the college football teams that are going to try to play in the fall. I know ESPN is going to have some folks on site and some folks in studio calling the games. But as as of now, and of course (laughs) it's 2020, you know, this, anything can change in any moment, Greg, this, this could all change in two weeks, but as of right this second, we will be on site and I'll be in San Francisco for the second time in a month since I was out there for the PGA championship. Um, we'll be out there in San Francisco to start the season on September 13th. Fantastic. Again, visiting with Kevin Kugler, who it was announced officially today that he'll be a part of the NFL on Fox crew this fall, calling a game each and every week uh, in the National Football League. You mentioned the Final Four. You've done that for years on Westwood One, and your part, your broadcast partner sadly passed away uh, over the weekend. And John Thompson, we heard that, got that news early this morning. Um, what was he like and what was he like to work with? Um, it, this, this, yeah, it's been such a weird day, Greg. I mean, you're, you're talking about a day with really conflicting emotions. I'm, I'm so excited for the Fox thing, and yet I'm so sad to lose my partner and a man I, I just respected so much in Coach Thompson. And you know this, we're of a, we're of a similar vintage. Um, when we saw John Thompson as sports fans growing up, 
John Thompson was that intimidating guy with a towel on his shoulder that we saw scowling at everybody on TV when you'd watch a Big East basketball game. And I first started working with him on the Final Four in 2008. That was my first Final Four. He and Bill Raftery were my partners. It was a three-man booth. And Coach Thompson was that same intimidating man. I mean, just a, a mountain of a man. Big man, scowl on his face. And the secret of John Thompson that, you know, now I don't know if he'd even like it now that he's gone. He didn't really want that secret out, but it came out very quickly. John Thompson was a giant, gentle, teddy bear of a man. I mean, he was as wonderful a person as I've been around. Um, he, you can see why he impacted so many young men as a basketball coach. I learned a lot of basketball from him. I learned a lot from my time around him, and it was one of those things that the acceptance that he offered me was greatly appreciated because, you know, I, I'm, I'm some kid coming in from Nebraska. Who am I? Who's this guy that's doing the Final Four? And he could have been, quite honestly, could have been a real jerk about it. I mean, he'd been doing things at the highest of high levels. He's a Hall of Famer, but instead he accepted me. He appreciated the work I did. He saw I worked hard, which he appreciated. And over the years, he became very, very fond of me, which I'm certainly reciprocated. And I am, I'm abundantly sad that he's gone. And, you know, 2020 has taken a lot from all of us, whether it be jobs, whether it be family members, whether it be sports moments that we love as fans. It took from me my – last opportunity to work as it turns out with coach Thompson at a final four. And that is something that's going to make me sad for a very long time. I, I loved my times working with him. I was with him almost every year for the last 12 years. And I didn't get a chance to do that this year because the tournament was canceled as we all know. And as it turns out, that's the last chance I would have had to work with coach Thompson. So I'm, I'm pretty bummed about that. Uh, and I will think very fondly of all the times I spent with coach Thompson the stories he shared and the laughter that he brought to a lot of people. He was a, he was a very funny guy behind the scenes and loved laughing. And I will always appreciate that from coach Thompson because that's not a side you ever saw from coach. Kevin, what was it like to watch people approach him? Because in those final four settings, a lot of people are going to try to come up and get an ear, get a conversation with him, and you were probably right off of his wing. What was it like to watch somebody kind of tiptoe their way up to what was a mountain of a man? It was, I imagine, sort of like approaching the Pope. Um, I worked the Big East Tournament with Coach Thompson for a lot of years, and that was you would the, people would just come to the table and pay their respects, whether it be coaches, whether it be players. And they all knew everybody knew one way or another, the impact that coach Thompson had had on that league and on basketball. And they would come up and pay their respects, sit with the man, shake his hand, get a little advice. Uh, I, I watched Ed Cooley do that almost every big East tournament, the head coach of Providence for many, many years. And I think Ed Cooley's just a fantastic basketball coach. And he loved John Thompson, not only because Coach Thompson played at Providence, but just because Coach Thompson meant so much to a coach in the Big East Conference and what he did to build the Big East. And you watch some of the legends. Uh, Tom Izzo absolutely adored John Thompson. And 
and by the way, the feeling was mutual. Coach Thompson adored Tom Izzo. I don't know how many times I heard him say, that man does it right. That man does it right. If you did it right, John Thompson appreciated the work you did. And Tom Izzo was a man who he appreciated because he did it right. He loved Bill Raftery. He loved our time with Raft in those final four rooms. He loved Jim Gray. He used to make fun of Jim Gray all the time, and they'd tease each other back and forth. (laughs) And it was just fun to watch. He was just one of those guys who fit on a team. There was a broadcast team or a basketball team. He figured out a way to fit in and become a huge part of that. And I, I will miss him a lot. Well, yeah, the the basketball world has been shaken, and you, you kind of go back and add up some of the legends that sport has lost in the last few months. Lute Olson passed away here within the last week. Eddie Sutton earlier this year. College basketball has really lost some of their greats here in the last five or six months. Well, Kevin, we're, we're thrilled for you. So happy to, to, to have you get, jump up on the Fox uh, platform, and it's going to be fun to watch you and, and see your career continue to take off. We appreciate you coming on and spending a few minutes with us here tonight. No, glad to do it. Great to be on. And uh, for all of my friends in the state of Nebraska, I I am sorry that the fall is not going to be the fall that we all wanted it to be around here. I, I know how much so many of you are hurting. And uh, I hurt along with you. This this is, uh, this is unprecedented, and I hope it uh, resolves itself very quickly. Kevin, I should have had my Val's pizza today. I didn't get my Val's pizza. It's just, I'm I know. Grumpy. I know. This would have been a good day for it to sit on the sixth floor and maybe, you know, have <laughs> – I don't know. Somebody go up to the podium and just say words for you. Yeah. Kevin, we appreciate it. Be well. Thanks, Greg. Appreciate it. Well, the biggest game of the upcoming weekend for college football is a week from tonight. It's a Monday night football with BYU traveling to Annapolis to take on the midshipmen of Navy. And we wanted to get a little rundown of what BYU's gone through the last couple of weeks. And Jay Drew, who's from the Deseret News, joins us right now. Hello, Jay. How are you today? I'm doing well. And you? I'm fantastic. We're all kind of trying to f- fly around here and figure out what's going to be happening with some college football in the coming coming months. And I know for BYU, being an independent and most of that schedule getting ripped away, what's it? How much? How chaotic has it been the last couple of weeks? Uh, it's been crazy. It's just been basically since the day the Big Ten announced it wasn't playing. Uh, BYU lost uh, two two games off the schedule, Michigan State and Minnesota. And then, uh, of course, the Pac-12 followed, which was even more of a killer because no longer do they play Utah, their longtime rival. And then the Mountain West dropped out, and there was three more games gone. So, literally, they lost ten games off their schedule wow. within uh, a, uh, a, you know, a one-week period. Uh, and then they just started to rebuild, and they've uh, added Navy and Army, uh, and then they've added uh, four other games, uh, teams in Texas and in the South. And so they're up to eight games, and, uh, you know, knock on wood, they're going to play a week from tonight. I'll be there in Annapolis watching it, and, uh, you know, just everybody's just on pins and needles just hoping this thing goes through because everyone knows all the risks and all the potential setbacks and all that, but... As of right now, it looks like the Cougars are playing. So eight games as it sits now, are they capped at that? Do you think they're still trying to add a game here or there? And how many of those eight are going to be at home? Yeah, so six are at home. The only two road games they have right now are their first two uh, in September, Army and Navy. 
um, they're trying for as many as they can get. The athletic director says, "Hey, we'll we'll play 12." You know, we'll, which probably means they need uh, maybe seven at home, five away. Um, but they can't be picky, obviously. Uh, they don't really have a well. They don't have a power five team on their schedule anymore. Uh, they had six, so obviously, uh, you know, they can't they can't come close to matching what they had. I mean, that's that's not even possible. But but yeah, they're out there looking for uh, anybody who wants to play them. That one of the problems is they they want home and home arrangements. They don't want to do these one off games where they go play at say. Uh, a Boston college or, or something without, you know, without getting anything in return. So that's kind of been the, a little bit of the, that slowed them down the last week or so. But, but as far as I know, they're, they're ready to play 12 games if they can get them. Again, visiting with Jay Drew from the Deseret News out in Provo. The Cougars open up a week from tonight against Navy. Looks like this could be a pretty good football team. Let, let's talk about a little of the X's and O's. What your thoughts about the, what this this team may look like in a week? Yeah, this this team has built this program under Kalani Sataki has literally built for this season, planned for it, schemed for it, knowing the caliber of teams they had on the schedule. So they've got three really good quarterbacks. They, today they named Zach Wilson, who's kind of the incumbent uh, as the starter. We got eight offensive uh, returning starters, seven defensive returning starters, a couple of guys who probably would have went in the NFL draft but decided to come back for their senior year uh, in tight end Matt Bushman and defensive tackle Kyrie Tonga. So this is a really, really good team. I've covered them for 10, 11 years, and on paper this looks like probably the best team, at least since they went independent in 2011. This should be the most talented team. Yeah, the, the the interesting thing for BYU right now is that independent label, and that and as you mentioned, but in some ways it might have been a saving grace for them because I don't know if you're a member of a league, and Nebraska certainly tried to kind of step outside the league and schedule some games, and quickly got told no, that's not possible. Maybe being an independent helped BYU this year, Jay, because then it allowed them the freedom to go try to piece together a schedule. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, if they belong to. Well, any conference out west, they're literally the only program west of Texas. And I'm talking anything, junior college, NAIA, uh, Division II, whatever, that is that is still playing football. And the only reason is, like, like you just said, they're independent. They can make their own their own rules. They can, you know, move their schedule around. Um, they've basically just had to prove to some of these other conferences that they had the resources to do the testing. The and BYU's got Power Five facilities. It's a and, you know it's a pretty fairly substantial football program as far as you know a following and that sort of thing. So once they could kind of convince other programs that that they were going to take testing seriously and and all the protocols and all that, then they've been able to you know to to build back on that schedule. Jay, have they been transparent at all about what if they've had positive cases? Where do they stand on all this, or have they kept that close to the vest? They've kept it close to the vest, which has been kind of a you know as a reporter, that's kind of yeah. been a, a sore point for me. Um, the, the school every Monday has put out a on its website, you know, how many positive tests it's had, but that's for the whole school population, faculty, non-athletes, everything. So they 
as far as the athletic department at BYU, they have not given us any sort of uh, number or anything like that. All they will say is we test three times a week. Every football player has been tested for the since uh, I think July first, three times a week for COVID. So that's about the only thing they'll really let on. Jay, um, have they talked about what they're going to allow inside Lavelle Edwards Stadium for home games? And, and is Navy allowing anybody to come watch the game on Monday? Yeah, Navy is not allowing any fans. In fact, they just today announced that they had turned down an appeal from the from the uh, 4,000 midshipmen that uh, brigade that had kind of appealed to, to show up. So, so, yeah, Navy's not going to allow any fans. BYU hasn't said yet. Um, there's kind of a talk that they're going to allow 20,000 people, um, which for a 65,000-seat stadium I think is roughly, you know, 33%. That seems kind of high to me, um, but they haven't officially said anything yet um, about that. The thing is their their first their home opener isn't until September 26th. They play Troy, one of those late-added games. Mm-hmm. So uh, they have a little bit of time to before they, I think, have to make a decision. What's what's the status of high school football in the state of Utah? We're we're playing it here in Nebraska. We do have a one of our major districts is opted out to not play, but the rest of the state is. What's the status of that in your state? Yeah, U- Utah's playing. Um, they uh, they in fact they were the first uh, the first game of the season entire for the entire country was held here. Uh, some teams have already played three games wow. uh, in Utah. Utah starts early, I don't know, to beat the winter or whatever, but they start mid-August with games, with actual games. And uh, they've had a few that were had to be um, canceled, I think three or four, because of positive testing for COVID. But so far, so good. Uh, and and the, the one thing Utah is experiencing is, is – uh, uh, like Nevada, Arizona, California, a lot of the neighboring schools have canceled or neighboring states. So there's been an influx of, of high school athletes that are coming to Utah just so they can play, just so they can have a season. And it's created a little bit of, a, a you know, some bad blood or ill feelings. I'm not sure how you would say it, but because some kids have been displaced because some of these star players from other states are coming in here just because they know Utah's going to do their best to play football this season. Wow. Kind of one of those uh, unintended consequences, I guess. Yeah, no doubt. Interesting. Well, Jay, I, I don't know how much opponent preview you've done, but it looks on paper like this ought to be a pretty good matchup a week from tonight with BYU and Navy. I, I think the betting line's out. It's fairly close. Should be a pretty competitive game, I would think. Yeah, I think so. I think it'll be interesting with no fans. Uh, and then, obviously, Navy runs the triple option. Um, BYU hasn't faced anything of that sort for, you know, since they played Air Force when they were both in the, in the Mountain West, which was, you know, nine, 10 years ago. So, so that's probably the biggest fear here in, in Provo is, uh, is if BYU can stop that triple option and, and give its offense a chance to do its thing. BYU's really hanging its hat on a really good offense. But if they can't get the ball, you know, if, if Navy controls the ball the whole game, then obviously they, they won't be able to show what they can do. So I think that's what it'll come down to and should be really interesting. 
I'm looking forward to it, Jay. I'll be tuned in. I appreciate it. Travel safe, and uh, let's hope you get to watch quite a bit of football here this fall. Yeah, me too. Me too, for sure. Thanks for having me on, guys. Time for our weekend winners. Ben. Yeah, we talked about my weekend winner already uh, just a little bit ago in the weekend rewind. But Jamal Murray, man, he's he's had a uh, an emotional emotional week or so. He's very involved in you know the the racial inequality that's happening in our country. Been a spokesperson for that and got super emotional after the game yesterday, as as he should. If you pour your heart on the line like that, drop fifty points. He's really been playing well. Um, don't really have a, a dog in the fight, but would kind of like to see the Nuggets win that one and move on. So uh, I'll be watching game seven for sure. So Jamal Murray for me. Yeah, they're, they're going to be a handful in that next round. Is it, aren't, they would play the Clippers. Does I get that right? I think that's right. Uh, they'll be a handful. All right, Tim. Well, they might have lost on the field, but they won in my heart. I'm giving Austin P as my weekend winner with their wacky formations, their turnover top hats. Their logos on the helmet, their interim head coach, the defining spirit of FCS football. I think that was probably the first FCS game I've actually sat down and watched from beginning to end in a long, long time. So Austin P, my weekend winner. Wow, you took a team that didn't win. There you go. That's 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 out there. That's that's good though. <laughs> that's what I'm here good. for, Greg. My winner, it was also mentioned in the rewind, and it's John Rahm. And and yeah, it'd be easy just to say because he won the tournament. But on Saturday, he took a one-shot penalty because he failed to mark his ball on the green. He's on the green with his approach. He walks up. He just picks his ball up without putting a ball mark down. So he has to call an official and go, yeah, I just had a brain fart, basically. Didn't put my coin down before I lifted my ball up. It's a one-shot penalty. And he said after the round, boy, I hope that one shot doesn't come back to haunt me. If he didn't have that penalty... He would have won that tournament in regulation, and Dustin Johnson's long putt wouldn't have mattered because Rom would have been up a shot anyway. But he put all that behind him and still went out and won the tournament with that terrific putt on the first playoff hole. How about that? How about cool that? Deal. Nice. Pretty cool deal. All right, coming up tomorrow night, Top 10 Tuesday. Don't have the topic yet. We'll let the boys figure that one out between now and then. We'll have all the day's headlines as well. Thanks to Ben, to Tim, to Mick, and everybody for listening to this one. Have yourself a great night.